From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, October 26, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car. And welcome back, everybody. This is Alicia Bales live in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update. Welcome back, Drew. Thank you, Alicia. Well, uh, weird times on the coronavirus front. (laughs) Well, you know, history repeats itself. I just don't expect it to repeat itself quite so quickly. I remember being in this sort of position back in March and April when we were watching a disaster unfold on the East Coast, wondering when it would hit us. We largely avoided that disaster, and hopefully we can avoid it again. But, boy, it is really bad in parts of the upper Midwest and the Rocky Mountain states. Hospitals are at capacity. People are scrambling to transfer people to facilities that have hospital capacity. Um, case counts in the 100-plus per 100,000 per day type of uh, range. So really, really, really ugly. Um, and you know, maybe it's headed this way um, as winter may get here. I don't know. It might remain summer forever in California, the way things are headed. But uh, scary. Very grim numbers nationally. Uh, locally, things are actually pretty quiet. Uh, I just came off of four or five nights in the hospital and not a lot of COVID, um, oh, which, that's is, great. which is good. But, and before I get into the actual case counts, um, you know, one of the problems we have, and really it's a national problem, is in this, you know, for-profit healthcare system that we have, the profit margins are um, maximized if you have very thin margins of capacity. And so our county capacity is quite thin. We're a rural county, and every rural county has very thin margins. So, for example, over the weekend, we had no hospital beds in the county of Mendocino. Zero hospital beds. I had to transfer people as an ER doctor, seeing people who needed to be admitted. I had to transfer people all the way to Vallejo, to Chico, Sacramento area, because that was the closest place that had a hospital with beds. Sonoma County was full. Napa County was full. We were having the transfer center search as far as the South Bay. So... I'm not sure what's going to happen when COVID gets here, but the potential for a really bad flu and COVID season combination is really quite chilling. But that's not because the beds are full of COVID patients, right? Correct. So this is, right now we have one person in the county hospitalized with COVID. So this is just our baseline thin margins. Is it always like that? Not always. It was just one of these weird convergences. But, you know, you add it, you add 10% more patients from COVID. Um, You add the flu season, you add, you know, the respiratory pediatric season, which is, you know, comes every year. Um, And, you know, the margins just get much thinner. Now, beds can be elastic. You know, if there's a surge, we might be able to ramp up in some way. I remember you had those surge tents set up. Yeah, you know, the surge tent still sits there. I don't think we've actually (laughs) opened the flaps a single time. But, you know, that's that's for more 
triaging um, an ER assessment. Right. It's not necessarily for hospitalization. But it just goes to illustrate sort of how precarious we are. Um, and you only need to look to, you know, Maya, uh, Montana or Wyoming or South or North Dakota or Wisconsin, um, which is a much more populous uh, region, really. Um, Utah, but those, yeah. those rural areas are just being crushed right now um, by COVID. So anyway, uh, but locally, things are actually pretty relaxed COVID-wise. Um, we added, I believe, 18 cases since last Wednesday's show, 1,129 in the county. Uh, 30, I think that's 000. our best week. Yeah, it's been pretty low. Um, you know, 18 cases in five days, that's a pretty low case count, uh, you know, three, four a day. The the seven-day delay on the um, on the average, the average right now is eight a day, but that's delayed by seven days. So that's right above uh, the red tier level. So we bring that down a point um, or a case, and we would qualify for the next lower tier. There is a two-week delay on that, so we'd have to stay at that level for a while. Whether we get there or not, I don't know. Um, we have just shy of 1,200 uh, tests pending. Our testing rate is adequate at 145 a day, which is good. Uh, no new deaths. Um, and the positivity rate is still holding uh, steady at 3.77 or thereabouts. Um, so relatively good. Sonoma County is doing a bit less well than us at the moment, um, but not, not radically so. They're adding about 65 cases a day. California is edging upward um, as a state. Our two-week trend is up uh, 40%. Uh, we added 2,700 cases in the last 24 hours. So whether that represents a significant trend as we go the way of the more eastern states, we don't know yet. But nationally, things are a disaster. I think we've added almost uh, 400,000 cases in the last five days, um, up to, I believe, 85,000 cases in a single day, a new um, a new record a for new this record country. Yeah. For the United States. 32% increase, two-week um, trend, and that trend has been about 30 to 40% for about six weeks, which is why our numbers are so high. Uh, the national sort of curve, uh, the surge curve, if you will, is really almost going straight up at this point. It's, it's pretty I was going to say steep, but that's yeah. beyond steep. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're stable and quiet locally currently, which is great. Um, other good news is, you know, people seem to be getting the message um, in terms of flu vaccine, for example. Oh, good. Um, we did a drive-through flu on Thursday, and I think they gave well over 200 flu shots to people um, in Anderson Valley, which is a substantial fraction of the valley right. getting flu shots in one afternoon. So that's that's good, and hopefully that will continue. We're going to try to set one up here in the valley, and I think other clinics are going to try to do the same. Uh, otherwise, other news um, really is you know, pretty unremarkable on uh, hospital capacity is what gets my attention. You know, new therapeutics aren't really being trotted out yet. There was a big study that came out in the last few days out of uh, Mass General and Brigham uh, in Boston um, showing that a monoclonal antibody that had good biologic plausibility, which is to say there was good reason to believe that it would help, um, didn't. So huh. that just goes to show how little we still know and how few treatments wow. we still have for this um, cold that's just going to go away per our fearless. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's still the vaccines, no breaking news there yet. Um, it will happen soon. Um, I think Fauci 
uh, predicted December as a rollout date uh, with significant delay, as we've all been talking about getting the actual vaccine into people who need it. Um, maybe by, you know, February, March, maybe not until spring. We'll see. I have a question about the these interrelating numbers, the metrics mm-hmm. of the uh, average case count per day is, mm-hmm. in Mendocino County is eight, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of a rolling average from but two it's weeks delayed, ago. yeah, right. And then we have our positivity rate, which is three point seven seven, right. And then we have our numbers of tests per day, right. So my question about that is is th- what's three point seven seven? That's going to stay steady regardless of the numbers of tests per day, right? It should. Um, it, the reason why you have to, tr- I mean, the, the percent positivity uh, is really the best indicator of how prevalent COVID is in our community, given or given that you have adequate testing. So you can't say we have 3.77% positivity if our testing rate per 100,000 is too low. It's just not going to be an accurate number. Um, and then the actual case counts is obviously... That number, 3.77 times the number of tests times the population. So it all they're all interrelated. Uh, one thing that causes a lot of uh, dissonance, I guess, um, is the lagging death uh, rate. Um, and right now, nationally, the death numbers are still low. But with 85,000 cases a day and really without any great therapeutics um, that we're using, that number is going to climb pretty sharply, I'm afraid, over the course of the next week or two. It it just will. I mean, we're better at at managing COVID patients. Uh, We know sort of the non-medicinal things that we can do, sort of the non-pharmaceutical things we can do to help people who are really sick. But we still don't have any, any... great uh, medicines that change the trajectory of this illness significantly. Amazing yeah. that we're still in the same place. It's just amazing. No, it's not amazing that the the, the pharmaceutical uh, treatment hasn't gotten there. This is still you know, very novel in terms of developing a drug. Um, and, you know, viruses are hard to treat. We haven't, we don't have a cure for the cold. We don't have a cure for the flu. So we don't have a cure for HIV. And so that's not surprising to me at all. What, what continues to astonish me is the case counts and the failure to develop a national strategy around this. I mean, Fauci just last week said maybe we should have a national masking standard mandate. Just right. now that's being discussed? Are you serious? Yeah. It's just astonishing to me. And this is Fauci. Yeah. I mean, he's the only adult in the room. I, it's... It is like that when, when we start to actually make some progress or make some strides or set up some programs locally. It's like, yeah, but we've been at this since February. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're doing it. And yes, it, it is a breakneck pace. Well, and you know, it's, it, we're still dealing with PPE. I mean, you know, people say PPE is adequate. Well, actually, you know, I had to intubate somebody this morning wearing a full COVID respirator. The person didn't have COVID, but looked like he could have, um, and used a, a device that protects me from it. Um, 
But the face shields that are necessary to make that device work, they're in short supply. So they're designed to be disposable, but I had to spray it down with antiseptic and hang it on the wall and let it dry for the next time. If you can believe it, that yeah. is still where we are. Um, and so, you know, and likewise, testing. Testing is still a problem. We have a single testing site in this county. Right. We have, you know, some lousy tests at the hospital, the Abbott machine. We saw how well that worked at the White House, right? It's just not designed for what we need in the hospital. We do have another machine now that's working well and is much more accurate. But, you know, clinics testing um, is continually threatened um and ucsf is you know perhaps pulling the plug on the county and counties around us and you know public health is having to scramble to figure out what the heck we're going to do yeah all right well let's go ahead and open the phone lines this is the local coronavirus update here on kzyx i'm alicia bales at the at the board and joining me is dr drew colfax we've been doing this every monday and wednesday and sometimes fridays for the last mm, many many months for an eternity yes Yes. and for some time to come as the third wave surges over our country Um, but the phone number here in the studio is 707-895-2448 that's 707-895-2448 and we would love to hear from you let's take our first caller good afternoon caller you're live on the air hi i have a few real quick things thank you dr colfax for being here uh last friday dr cornyn is that how you say his name Mm -hmm. yes he mentioned that uh so did you just say that UCSF pulled the plug on us? That's that's what we, I've heard. That is my yeah. understanding, yes. He said it was November 30th, but I talked to a friend who works at a local clinic here, and she said, nope, it's October 30th. That's, that's my understanding as well, the end of okay. this month. So that means that Redwood Coast Medical Service, that's where... They sent it, so there's no more testing at RCMS. So what are we going to do about that? Yeah, where where is there going to be testing here on the South Coast? Is my first question because not everybody around here can go to the VFW hall and sit in their car. No, I agree, and I, it's it's a problem. And public health is going to be working on distributing more tests through a different, um, you know, through a different um, company. But that, that's not else for sure. Well, I, they're going to have to, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know who it's going to be or when it's going to get here, but we're going to need okay. more testing than just the OptumServe site that's in Ukiah. Frightening. Yeah, because we can't get to Ukiah. No, I know. I know. I mean, we're way over here. Okay, and, that, and my next question, when it was at RCMS the last time, they required you to make an appointment online. If you don't live at the computer, you're bleep out of luck. Yeah, they they ended up um, sort of walking back that online requirement. So They actually didn't. The first time they did it, they said, yeah, you can call. But the last time they did it, they said, absolutely, you have to do it online or you will not get a test. Well, that, that was about a week ago. That's, that's a... Bad policy. Discrimination against poor old and the rest of us Luddites who don't live with internet. I I agree. I agree. It's discrimination against the Luddites. It's discrimination against the um, less wealthy, the people who don't have computers in this community, um, the Latinx community. I mean, yeah. So whoever's out there who's making those policy decisions should walk them back. All right. Let's have your last question, caller. Okay, I don't remember it. Thank you for the show. All right, thanks a lot. Oh, yeah, everybody vote these 
so 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 and so's out of office so we can get a decent so we can save our lives, right? Here, wow. here. Thanks and a lot for country. the call. All Everybody right. vote. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask if Dr. Colfax could please tell us more about the non-medicinal approaches to treating COVID um, that he mentioned is what we've got available to us now, and I'll take that on the air, please. Sure. So, you know, oftentimes when we see a critically ill person dealing with an infection, um, either in the emergency room, the ICU, or in the hospital in general, uh, we do a few things right away. We, we draw blood cultures. We start administering fairly large volumes of IV fluids, uh, usually start antibiotics. Um, and that has been shown quite clearly in the in most infections to result in markedly improved outcomes. And the more aggressively you initiate that treatment, um, the better people do. What we learned in March and April um, is that if you give people with COVID a lot of fluids, their lungs fill up with fluids and they die. Um, so we have learned the hard way, unfortunately, and that's usually how medicine progresses, um, that COVID lungs or COVID patients need to be kept very dry, which is almost the opposite of the way we manage just about every other pneumonia um, or infectious disease. So that's one thing. The second thing is, you know, when people come in and their oxygen levels are markedly low, tends to get doctors' attention. And doctors have a tendency to want to treat the number. So if somebody um, comes in with an oxygen level of, say, 70%, normal's 100 or 99, um, that tends to invite very aggressive intervention, even if the person looks well. And there were a lot of patients who were intubated um, in New York and on the East Coast, you know, literally talking on their cell phone and the doctor saying, it's time to intubate you because your numbers are so low. We now know that's a very bad intervention. Um, and we simply let people live with this very permissive low oxygen level. It goes against a lot of our training and a lot of our teaching. Um, and the reason why the doctors were sort of moving toward more aggressive management is you don't want to have to um, put somebody on life support in a crashing situation. That just leads to worse outcomes. But we've learned that that small risk of a crashing situation is much less than sort of aggressively managing low oxygen levels. So those are just a couple examples. There are a lot of others. Um, we've learned that rotating people, um, if you can think of a rotisserie, um, you know, so really sick patients get rotated on you a regular basis. Their, bodies get their turned entire around. body gets turned around. Um, that seems to be helping quite a bit. Positioning seems to be helping quite a bit. There is the dexamethasone, which for the more critically sick patients seems to help quite a bit with outcomes, although there's still some question as to how much and when to administer it, and sort of the more moderately sick, it might make them worse. So it's it's a difficult decision without super clear data. Um, there is remdesivir, uh, which helps maybe a little. It's not, it's not a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. It's in short supply, but generally we're able to get it for the sicker patients. I don't frankly think it helps a whole heck of a lot, um, but it helps some we think. And that's kind of it. Um, you know, there's really not a lot we can do except 
support people uh, through this illness still. It's it's really quite it's really quite a bad illness still uh, for people who get very sick. Fortunately, most of us don't, right? I see people in the ER. I diagnosed a few people over the last few days with COVID, uh, which is a fraught diagnosis. But you know, part of my conversation is you're going to be okay. You know, your 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 risk factors are low. You're relatively young. The chance of you're getting very sick on this is extremely low. Um, it's hard to internalize that when all we've been talking about and hearing about is this is this illness um and particularly when we're seeing you know seven eight hundred thousand you know deaths a day um nationwide that's a lot of deaths nationwide but on an individual basis the risk fact the risk is low provided you're not you know in this high risk category of people right all right well uh we did have more calls and i just looked down and the phone lines are now open so that's number here in the studio is 707-895-2448 and join the conversation this is the local coronavirus update good afternoon caller you're live on the air yeah i have a question for you i have somebody with high blood pressure and always had lung issues you know this disease certainly gets my attention and um so those of us in the construction industry, we you know generally have N95 sitting around. We couldn't get them very much for a while, but we're able to get the construction type ones again now, which are essentially the same thing, just not medically certified. And so in my truck, I have a box of these little blue surgical masks and a box of N95s. Tell me which one to wear. Well, either's fine. Now, the the construction N95 sometimes have an outlet valve on them, um, which renders them not um, safe uh, for you to wear when you're around other people, right? So that's really they're good for me. They're just not good for you, right? So don't wear those uh, if you are. In... I have both kinds. Yeah. So. So you can wear the construction kinds, the ones with the outlet valves, when you're doing construction work, not next to anybody. That's fine. Reserve that for, the, right. for those scenarios. Um, you know, N95s are presumptively better than the surgical mask. Um, they're less comfortable, I think you can appreciate, particularly if they don't we have... We wear them all the time. Well, yeah, good. We so, you know, wear them. Um, they are generally available. Um, the surgical masks are also quite effective. So it's really dealer's choice if you have both, uh, wear one or the other, um, and, and don't worry about it too much, whichever is comfortable. But be be aware that the um, construction outlet valve N95s are just not COVID N95s, and you really but can't... you can just throw a tape over that, right? You just throw a tape over the outlet valve, and it's the same thing as one without one. You can, yeah. And, you know, I you don't... When when I see people, um, you know, wearing the, the outlet valve kinds, it's a little bit invasive to say, do you have tape over your valve? Um, so it's... It's it, it creates anxiety for people around you. Let me put it that way. But if you personally are going to be responsible, and uh, you know th- that's fine. But if you if you have the non-outlet ones, just use them. That way, that way we know we're safe when we're looking at you. Okay, non-outlet N95s, surgical mask sitting there. Check and check. What's the percentage difference between them? Well, the N95 is, you know, it's extremely effective if it's been fit-tested to you, right? And the ones you're going to get at Home Depot or Freeman's are not fit-tested to you. So the the percentage difference is something that I can't quantify precisely, but it is negligible. They are both going to work equally well at protecting you and the people around you. The surgical mask really? isn't going to protect... Why, why are they right? so strict about wanting us to wear surgical and the 
medical staffs to wear the N95s then. Because we in the hospital are all fit tested for our N95s. So we have to sit down in front of a respiratory therapist and we try on a number of N95s until we have the one that works for us. And uh, most of them don't actually. I had to go through five or six different N95s before I could find the one that worked as a N95 respirator. You're not wow, going to do amazing. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you're not going to do that. And, you know, we don't have access to that. And so they're great masks. They're going to work at least as well as a surgical mask. But I Got wouldn't it. count on them working much better than a surgical mask. That's interesting. OK. All right. It's a lot right. easier to take the surgical mask on and off. So yeah, I, I guess that when you're going in and out of stores, that's easier. I'm wearing a surgical mask right now. I mean, that's that's certainly my preference. I, I wear N95 okay. quite a bit, but, you know, not not. Not when I'm out and about. All right. All right. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate you. All right. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Oh, hi. Hi, Dr. Colfax. Hello. Hi. I was wondering if you've seen any pictures of Senator Mitch McConnell in the last couple of days, and do you think he has COVID toes? It doesn't look like it, frankly. Um, I I have seen those pictures. I try to avoid looking at them. They They just... I, I don't have a lot of emotional capacity for that, but no, that that does not look like a COVID um, uh, toe type of situation. It looks like uh, something else. Yeah, I kind of wondered. Well, it was it. Thanks, and thank you for all the stuff you guys are doing here all the time on the radio. Oh, you're welcome. All right, thanks for listening, and thanks for calling in. Uh, bye. Bye bye. Yeah, that is some. That's some creepy looking stuff i mean you couldn't see his toes but you could see his hands and his lips yeah even without that discoloration there's a creep factor that's true it's never a very pleasant view but (laughs) yeah what i mean what does that to someone he's got like black discolored bruising i I, I have some good ideas but i'm not going to speculate on there okay all right I gotcha. All right, it's 707-895-2448. The lines are open. I think we have time for one more call, maybe. We've got about four minutes because we have a new show coming up next. It's coming up at 3.30 here with Ukiah High graduate and KZYX intern Savannah Gibson. She's put together a new show called Youth Arts Outreach, and it's a special project for KZYX featuring voices of local young folks. And this week they're talking about how Generation Z is finding happiness in their lives and listen to music they associate with being happy. And also a couple of local youth poets are going to bring their poetry. So we need to keep this next call. Yeah, before we Pretty take short. that next call, um, programming notes, I'm, I'm at work Wednesday afternoon. Right. Um, so we're going to try to find a substitute host. Um, whether that happens or not, we shall see. And next Monday, I'm going to have to call in, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, as long as we can get the update, that'll be great. And, of course, we are podcasting as well. So if you (laughs) miss the show, you can subscribe to the podcast at KZYX Local Coronavirus Update. All right, it's got to be lightning fast because we uh, we do actually have to stop early today. Let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, thanks for taking my call uh, and appreciate the show. I heard a, um, or I read an article not too long ago from a I can't remember the source, but it was a, it was a trusted source, and it was discussing the um, flu uh, in South America, the Southern Hemisphere rather, um, in the, the, the past flu season in the Southern Hemisphere, and how it. it, it they, they, I even saw the term that they used was "skip the flu season," and they attributed it to the practices that people are. Uh, taking uh regarding the covid uh you know situation and 
obviously we're coming into our flu season now. Um, is there any thoughts on how the, you know, social distancing, et cetera, masking, how that may affect the upcoming flu season here? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question, and the answer is yes, there's a lot of thought to that, um, and we really just need to look to what happened to flu season in the spring to get a sense of how this may work. Uh, flu really disappeared when we shut things down in March. Um, it, that was the end of the flu season for us um, quite effectively. There is certainly a hope that if we continue the social distancing and this mask wearing, that the flu season should be a very light season because these measures don't just stop the spread of COVID, they stop the spread of influenza. But, you know, we don't really know that, and there are certainly local areas that are not socially distancing or buying into the mask-wearing um, science. Um, and so those areas might have the combination of a, of a robust flu season and a robust um, sort of COVID surge. We don't know, but we certainly are taking the steps that could lead to a very tightly controlled flu um, season, which is great. It's also good that we're seeing a fairly high degree of attention to the need for flu vaccine. Um, and, you know, people just need to get their flu shot. I mean, I really can't um, be more clear about that. I mean, all people um, should be vaccinated for flu this year. You just, just do not want to get sick with influenza um, you know, come, come winter when we don't have hospital capacity. All right. Well, yeah, to help mitigate all of the risks and stop this, what they're calling the twindemic. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. We've got about 20 seconds left. Thanks, Dr. Colfax. Thank you, Alicia. It's great to be back. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.